All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by nobody. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family, uh, also the site manager over at Denver Stiffs. I wrote an article about Aaron Gordon after recording last night's podcast and posted that, and it's been doing pretty well. Uh, lots of great content up at Denver Stiffs and some more great content coming up over the course of these playoffs and potentially into the the post uh, playoff season as well the the off season if you will uh, hopefully that's not for a while off but for now I wanted to address what I believe is becoming a, a stronger narrative in the Denver Nuggets space it is the blame game that is sort of going on in the moment where Nuggets fans are feeling the most distressed where everybody is looking for a reason why Denver sucks right now a reason why Denver is getting just demolished by the Golden State Warriors in this series. The last time they played the Phoenix Suns, they were they were demolished there. Uh, it like, look, Golden State. Uh, Matt Moore just tweeted this. Golden State is now plus one seventy five to reach the the NBA Finals on the betting markets over at DraftKings. I'm pretty sure. That is really high, and I don't think they're quite the favorite. I think that the Suns are still the favorite. But look, there is absolutely a reason why Denver is losing the series. It is because they do not have their two stars. It is because they are not their two stars. It because they don't have their second and their third best player. Uh, Jokic, obviously, their main star. Uh, and it's because... P.J. Dozier went there. There's there's a lot of stuff that I want to go over over this segment. But I want to talk about, in the first segment, why bad things can sometimes happen to good franchises. And I think that this is the reason why Denver is in this position. Why Michael Malone and Tim Connolly, despite the fact that they've done a good job over the course of the life of their contracts, have fallen into this position and are looking a little bit worse for wear this season. But then in the second segment, I'm going to talk about competitive advantage. I'm going to talk about what it means to put yourself into the best position where you can create your own luck. You don't necessarily have to like hope that everything goes well all the time. If you give yourself competitive advantages like the Phoenix Suns did by trading for Chris Paul, like the Milwaukee Bucks did by going into the tax and paying Drew Holiday and P.J. Tucker last year and Guys like that, what the LA Clippers are doing this year and going forward, there's a lot to the aspect of competitive advantage. And I'm going to talk about that in the second segment. But for now, let's talk about why bad things happen to good franchises. I want to take you back on a journey here with me. December 15th, 2016. During the 2016-17 season, the Denver Nuggets committed to Jokic. It was their best case towards becoming a good team. He was clearly the best player, somebody that Denver needed to kind of lean into because of how talented he was and because he was the guy that could sort of elevate everybody around him. They committed to him. It absolutely looked good, and, and Denver made progress because of it. That offseason, the following offseason, Denver signed Paul Millsap, one of the best free agent signings that they've ever made, probably the best one that they've ever made. 
obviously the contract that they gave him, he probably didn't live up to the contract specifically, like from a production standpoint, but from a culture setting standpoint and what it really meant for him to be a part of the team and then to help turn the Nuggets from a young aspiring team to an actual championship contender. Over the course of the four years that Paul Millsap was here, Denver did that. So you can look at that and say that was a great job by Tim Connolly, by Michael Malone. During the 2018-19 season, after Denver faltered in Game 82, they committed to Jamal Murray in that following year, where everybody went down, everybody got injured, except for Jokic and Murray, and Denver was sort of forced into the Jokic-Murray two-man game, and Denver never really looked back, because in the playoff series that those two have played together. They've played in five total playoff series. They've won three of them, and they've been competitive in all five. I think that's sort of lost in this, is that while Jokic and Murray have been playing together, Denver has been competitive against everybody, every single person, every single team. Now, 2019-20, after they falter, to the Blazers in the Western Conference semifinals in Game 7. That was understandable. Denver was one of the youngest teams. They were inexperienced. They needed a year. They added Porter. They added Grant to the equation. Those guys were very strong pieces where you could say, look, this is how you build a contender. You have to get shooting, versatility, and defense around Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. And Denver started that. They had Gary Harris already in tow. They had Torrey Craig. They added Jeremy Grant. They had Paul Millsap already. Denver had a really good mix of different kinds of defenders that they could go to around Jokic and Murray. But that was the foundation upon which everything was built. And Denver, of course, gets to the Western Conference Finals that year in the bubble. It looked a little bit shaky for a while. Murray looked a little bit shaky for a while. So did Jokic, by the way, that year. But they ultimately figured it out, and they were ultimately better. And then they were even better the next season. But before that, the 2020 offseason, I think that became the first pivot point where everybody realizes, all right, not everything is going Denver's way. They added the perfect piece, or what they thought was the perfect piece at the time, to be a part of the puzzle in Jeremy Grant. And then Jeremy Grant left for different pastures to try and become a star. They had to replace him, and they replaced him by drafting Zeke Naji, though he was more of a, a center replacement. And they re-signed Paul Millsap. They also signed Jamichael Green. So they tried to kind of piece together some small solutions, but they didn't really have the the financial flexibility to do much more. So to keep their financial flexibility, they let go of Mason Plumley. They signed Isaiah Hartenstein, which I think was a good call at the time. It was a good decision. Look at what Hartenstein's doing in the with the LA Clippers right now. And they still had Gary Harris and PJ Dozier. They also drafted RJ Hampton, who was a really interesting project. So because of that, they decided to let go of Torrey Craig. They had Will Barton too. Like, there were a lot of reasons why Torrey Craig wasn't brought back. Michael Porter, 
was somebody that they wanted to really develop. They wanted to develop him as a three. Should they have kept Tory Craig and instead let go of Paul Millsap? Maybe. Maybe you move Michael Porter to the four. And that's what Denver probably should have done. They probably should have added more perimeter defenders rather than interior defenders. But they didn't go that route, so they decided to do something different. In addition, Michael Malone wanted Faku Campazo. That was somebody that he wanted on the roster. He was probably the biggest catalyst for bringing Faku from Real, from Real Madrid to the United States and to the Denver Nuggets. And they signed him to a two-year deal. It was a small price to pay uh, for trying to get a, a third point guard that, that could potentially play a little bit because he was going to be behind Murray and, and Monte. Now, Bobo was also signed perhaps prematurely, and obviously they had Vlatko. They had other guys on the roster that might not necessarily have been the best, like most dynamic choices, but they weren't that far off from being a contender. Obviously, they just needed to replace the Jeremy Grant position where you needed that wing defender, some some big wing defender to match up with LeBron James, who they just ran into in the previous year. Kawhi Leonard, who they had just defeated in the previous year because they had Jeremy Grant. And then Luka Doncic, who was an up-and-coming young player that they knew they would have to deal with. So, during the season, they trade for Aaron Gordon. And that was a great decision. However, the one cost of it was that they became weaker as a perimeter defense, a guard defense and there were just so happened to be teams in the Utah Jazz, in the Phoenix Suns, and there, there were a couple of other teams too that were were better as guard defense or guard uh, scorers than they had as forward scorers or wing scorers or something like that. So it was going to be a trade off. And should Denver have traded Will Barton as opposed to Gary Harris so that they could keep that flexibility? Probably. That's probably what should have happened, to be honest. But I don't blame them for wanting to keep around Will. Will was so much better than Gary in last season in Denver. Gary was really struggling. He was not shooting the ball well. He was just not in a great spot from an offensive perspective. And Denver needed some secondary creation when Murray wasn't out there, so they kept Will. And they still had P.J. Dozier at the time, and they still had, well, they traded R.J. Hampton, but they had Faku, so there were definitely some reasons to think, okay, we could still outscore these teams. Absolutely. Then Murray goes down. But not before Denver looked like a contender. They had this small stretch of time where they were really freaking good. Just really good. Absolutely dominant. But Murray goes down, and then subsequently, Barton goes down, Monte Morris goes down, and P.J. Dozier goes down. Against the Blazers and the Suns, Denver didn't have P.J. Dozier available to them. Like, the one defender that they really kept as, as a, a talented, lengthy athlete who would be able to switch and do all of these different things as a high IQ defender. That was something that they really wanted, but he went down with an injury. They signed Austin Rivers as a temporary replacement. 
They signed Shaq Harrison, but Michael Malone knew that they needed offense in order to outpace some of these teams. They were never going to stop those teams. They needed to outscore them. So Marcus Howard played over Shaq Harrison, and uh, you had Michael Porter out there, despite the fact that he was struggling defensively. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to think that Denver, look, when, when Murray goes down and half the backcourt goes down, like you're, you're going to be in a tough position. Absolutely, that's going to be a problem. And it worked against a bad playoff team. It didn't work against a good playoff team. And later, we subsequently learned that the Phoenix Suns are a freaking juggernaut. And they just were in their growing stages of being that elite team. I underestimated them. Perhaps the Nuggets underestimated them too. Of course, if you remember, Jamal Murray looks like Michael Jordan against the Suns. He looks like Kobe Bryant against the Suns. He's one of the killers against the Suns. And sorry, Denver probably thought that they would have that guy. And so that sort of makes everything easier in some of those matchups. But obviously you don't have that. So 2021 offseason rolls around and you have to change some things up. You have to believe in the original plan or you can like massively change it. And I I think there were signs that Barton might be regressing a little bit. Uh, There were definitely signs that Millsap was regressing. They replaced Millsap with Jeff Green. They re-signed Austin Rivers because they don't have the money to really do anything. And then they re-signed Will Barton because there wasn't going to be another starting caliber two guard that they could sign on the open market. Now, in retrospect, given what happened this offseason, perhaps Denver should have tried to sign Alex Caruso and gone that route a little bit stronger. Maybe he'd be a better point-of-attack defender for them to add. I sure would prefer Alex Caruso to be chasing around Steph Curry and Jordan Poole and guys like that in this playoff series over, let's say, Barton. But it it isn't always that simple, and you have this relationship with this player and Will and you cultivate that. You trust in that. You believe in that. And that's what the Nuggets have sort of been foundational on. And it's why they've kept this group around for so long. It's why they've been good and on the upward trajectory every single season. But you basically bring back the same group. You replace uh, Murray's scoring punch by drafting Bones. And you have the intent. Like, here's, here's what I think the intended rotation was. At the end of the year, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic. Then you have Monte Morris, Austin Rivers, PJ Dozier, Jeff Green, and Jamichael Green off the bench. I think that's what they intended. And would it have worked? I don't know. But you've got a lot of veterans there. You've got a lot of people that are very capable of doing different things and Dozier sort of adds a little bit different of a dimension as a wing who can really do a variety of different things on both ends of the floor, but mostly defensively. But you take away Murray from that group, you take away Porter from that group, and you take away Dozier from that group, and it's suddenly debilitating. Denver did not have any wings that they could trust defensively 
to put onto guards. They didn't have any size that they could put onto guards that could really keep up. I think that's what we learned with Aaron Gordon this year is that he was a six foot eight forward, a power forward, being tasked with chasing around point guards. And that's just not a good role for him. That is something that we have learned this year. Now, I thought that Gordon did a great job against Damian Lillard in the playoffs last year. And he was probably Denver's best option against Chris Paul last year. So maybe there is something to them thinking that it could work again this year. And sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes it just isn't great. But they basically they tried bringing everybody back. They signed people to extensions. They believe in their plan. That was the thing that they pushed. But they had this major weakness on the wings and in the defensive backcourt. And it was really exacerbated by the fact that they didn't focus on it in the offseason. That I will say. Like I think that they probably should have focused on it more. Now, is that fair? Is that a fair criticism? I think probably so. Is it something that I, I'm really going to blame them over, given what's gone on this year, and that they assumed that they would get back Murray and Porter, and they just never did? Well, they never assumed that Porter would be down, by the way. Like, that happened in Game 9. It happened in the preseason. Like, that, that was after everything that happened. Like, they... They signed that dude to a five-year, $170 million contract extension with the assumption that he would at least be healthy for the first year. So that is how much this year is cursed. That is how much I don't know if I can necessarily go after Tim Connolly or Michael Malone for that matter for not having the personnel to match up with the Golden State Warriors this year. I don't know if they knew that they'd have to match up with the Warriors. I don't even know if they knew they'd have to match up with the Suns, to be frank. It's very possible that they could be matching up with the Jazz, or the Clippers, or the Lakers, or the Mavericks, or a lot of other teams. Like they, You have to just know that Denver's gotten screwed on the matchups in each of these past two postseasons. They traded for Aaron Gordon assuming that he'd match up with a forward, and instead, they're trying to chase around these small guards that also make Nikola Jokic look worse too. So, with that in mind, were there minor things that the front office could have done better? Yes. I am not trying to run away from that. Are there things and are there decisions that I can criticize Michael Malone for this year? Yes. Playing Faku Composo so much was wrong. Not staggering and not learning how to stagger this year was wrong. Denver should have been trying it. And the fact that their bench was such an abject disaster goes on the coaching staff and the front office in that regard. I definitely think that's true. I also think that last game, I think that Michael Malone screwed up the rotations in the second quarter. And that really gave the momentum to the Golden State Warriors to the point that it really lost them the game right then and there. Now, is that fair? I don't know. 
we'll see what happens in game three. We'll see what Denver looks like and how they kind of match up with what the what the Warriors have done and what kind of countermeasures they take. If they make those changes and they still lose, is it really still on Michael Malone at that point? I don't know. Is it on Tim Connolly for not having Murray and Porter? Not really. No. Is this the year to hold them under the microscope for the roster and the rotation? Probably not. It is difficult for me, given how cursed this season is, just completely cursed, to seriously quibble about the details. The fact is, is that you don't have Murray, you don't have Porter, and that sort of changes the entire calculus of everything. And so getting caught up with the details is the wrong call for this year. The most important thing is that Denver is cracking right now under the pressure. They are tired. They are angry. They are upset with each other. And that is something different. And maybe the Nuggets could have handled that a little bit better as a coaching staff, as a front office, but also as a player contingent. Like the players have just played bad. And having a lot of guys that have regressed as much as they have, I don't know who to blame that on. Is it on Tim Connolly for not foreseeing that? Maybe. Is it on Michael Malone for not being more proactive about seeing that? Maybe. But one thing's for certain. It's the veteran player that can't do the same things that they used to be able to do that is the most difficult thing for a coaching staff to deal with and for a front office to deal with. That is the most difficult thing. And the Nuggets have had a lot of that this year. Will Barton is slowing down. Austin Rivers probably can't defend as much as he could. Jamichael Green is slowing down. Jeff Green can't do anything athletically right now as as an actual impact defender. And you've you've just got a lot of guys that are in this situation where they just haven't played as well as they probably should have. And is that on, like, is that a blame game thing? Probably not. At least not to me. So I understand the need to criticize. I understand the need to kind of shed the blame because it can't be Nikola Jokic, despite the fact that he does share some of the blame too. Like, let's be honest. We talked about this last night. He needs to be better in various areas. Obviously, he's not the biggest problem. There's way bigger problems right now than Nikola Jokic. The biggest problem is that Denver isn't healthy. And that cannot be controlled by anybody at all. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss competitive competitive advantage and why it is everything with the ownership of an NBA franchise. We'll be right back. Folks, welcome back in. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you can, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. 
that would be fantastic. Off day tomorrow, the Nuggets are going to be practicing on Wednesday. I will be not I will not be there at practice. Usually I do attend the practices, but I'm not going to be there for that one. Uh, so we will see what the Nuggets have to say. I'm sure they'll talk about how the the film sessions and the discussions and the practices were all very good and they're on the same page and they're a united front. We will see if that is actually the case on Thursday in game three. I'm really hopeful. I doubt that we see Jamal Murray or Michael Porter. That to me seems like a very surprising thing at this point. It would kind of be nice if Denver just shut them down and just said, look, this is not the year. Let's just go home and not have that whole be just being held over the roster, over the coaching staff, over the over the fans, for one thing. Like, just put the fans at ease if there's no intention of actually bringing them back. That seems like the right call. But maybe they're just going to wait it out until the final bitter end. Let's talk about competitive advantage. Let's talk about what it means to have a competitive advantage. It's, it's a, this is a marginal thing. This is something that every NBA franchise is generally looking for. They're looking for how to cut various corners, how to be the most efficient and effective and whatever. And there are some teams that do it well, and you sort of have to lean into it. That's one of the things that I think NBA franchises, some of them understand. Some of them, you know, you have to go full bore. But others, you could absolutely say, don't lean into the competitive advantage. I would say the Indiana Pacers are one of those teams that doesn't necessarily lean into that stuff. They're never going into the tax. They're never going to do much more from an analytical perspective or a training staff standpoint or a, I don't know, like a, like a practice facility standpoint to do more than what is the bare minimum. I also basically just described the Denver Nuggets. And for a team that has championship aspirations, like there's one thing to be the Indiana Pacers, who I think there's just finished like 13th in the Eastern Conference. They are definitely in a firm rebuild. It's one thing to do that. It is one thing to just be in a position where you you know that the competitive competitive advantage stuff is not going to make a difference. For the Nuggets, I think it will. I think that it's something that Denver could really be leaning into in order to become the best team that they can be. Because let's be honest, Denver needs some help in this regard. Things haven't gone perfectly. This isn't a storybook right now. Denver has struggled with various steps of their process And it hasn't just been this perfect rise to the top. Like for the Suns, for example, they traded for Chris Paul. That was the perfect opportunity that fed into their, that fell into their laps. They had a great foundation, a great young core. But then they added on the periphery with some smaller signings too, and have since gone into the tax to make sure that they are a competitive team. That is something that they're doing. 
So what do I, what else do I mean about paying for the competitive advantage? Like what I really mean here is five things. I think you pay the tax is number one. I think you have to spend money on your coaching staff and your front office to make sure that you have the best people possible running the organization. I think you should spend money on state-of-the-art facilities, drawing players in with multiple practice courts, an open like an open gym, basically, a potential uh, a, a new weight room and training room and things like that. The bells and whistles of a practice facility and potentially of an arena that make people want to go, that make people want to be a part of it. I think you also have to cultivate the fan base to allow them to watch games. Shocker. And you have to treat your players with the utmost respect. That one we will circle back around to. But first of all, number one, Denver's in line to pay the tax next year. The extension for Michael Porter is kicking in. You already have a max rookie extension for Jokic and a max rookie extension for Murray. You have a $20 million number, I think, for Aaron Gordon. You have about a $14.3 million number for Will. You've got like nine mil for Monte. And you've got some other guys that are that are factored in there. But the fact is, is that Denver, they have a bunch of money that is tied into next year's team. And they already look like they're going over the tax. If they find a way to duck the tax, if they find a way to pay less of the tax, that will be at the expense of the competitiveness of the roster unless something magical goes right. Most of the time, if you don't use your financial resources to pay for the best players, then you are losing out on a potential opportunity to build the best team possible. And with that in mind, Denver has never paid the tax since, I think, 2008. So, it's been 14 years, 15 if you're counting 2023. Denver, it's time. It is absolutely time. You have a championship contender at full strength. Pay the tax. Number two. Denver probably needs some new blood on the coaching staff. And maybe in the front office too, but probably the coaching staff first. And what I'm talking about here, Denver's offense and defense has been pretty bland over the course of these past couple years. They've had to dumb things down. When you have injuries, when you have absences, and when you have players that aren't necessarily super scheme versatile, then you have to run basic stuff. You run a little bit more 2-3 zone. You run a little bit more uh, just drop coverage in general because that's what the team can do rather than what the team should be doing. Denver needs to be able to run different things, to be more dynamic, to be more creative. Their schemes on both ends of the floor need a little bit of a revamp. Adding back Murray and Porter should be able to help out with this. You just add a couple of high-minute players where those guys are going to be on the court. Especially offensively, you can get very creative, and I expect Denver to try to do so. But what they need to be able to do defensively 
is not what they're doing right now. They were the 15th overall defense or 16th overall defense this year. They've been kind of in this 11 to 15 range for most of the last three to four years. They need to find a way to get into the top 10. And whether it's improving the personnel, that's probably one thing. But also being more creative and being more innovative is probably the best way too. You got to find competitive ways to take advantage of the opposition. And you have to have players that are able to do that. So it's probably a two-way street, but it's a two-way street that Denver needs to explore for sure. Number three, state-of-the-art facilities. Ball Arena is fine. That's not necessarily like what I'm really going at here. But not having a practice facility, not having a real gym is not good. Denver's current practice facility, where Denver will be practicing tomorrow, is in this gym with halogen lights. There's one court. It's got these tall, big walls that are pretty cramped. It is just one space where you have six hoops, four of which go up to the ceiling. Actually, all of them do, but you've got six hoops on that one court. And then next to it, you have the work, the workout room, the weight room. And it's fine. It's not necessarily what I would be going for if I were an NBA team. And if I'm a player that is touring the facilities and thinking, okay, where am I going to spend all of my time during the season? Am I going to enjoy my experience? I want players to be able to say, yes, I will enjoy my experience in Denver. It can still be about the basketball. It doesn't have to be about the bells and whistles. But the bells and whistles make the basketball better sometimes. It absolutely is one of those things you don't necessarily think about until you're in a tough spot. And then when you're in a tough spot, you start looking around and realize, man, this is tough. Why am I doing this? And I hope that's not what's happening with Denver right now. And they're not going to lose a playoff series because their building wasn't good enough, because their practice facilities weren't good enough. That's not really what I'm going at here. But if it is the difference between adding a rotation player that can help your team and that rotation player walking somewhere else, then that needs to change. Obviously, this is more of a long-term conversation than a short-term conversation because that isn't necessarily going to happen like tomorrow. But I do think that it probably needs to happen at some point. Now, number four. Cultivating the fan base. I don't know why I need to say this still, and I know I'm not going to get any pushback from the people here that are listening to the podcast, but the fan base needs to be able to watch games. Like, this isn't hard. This isn't something where I'm really breaking news here or I'm saying something super controversial. I think that the Nuggets should be shown on TV. I think that I should, if I have cable... If I have the basic cable package in Denver, Colorado, that should come with Altitude TV. I know there's a sports package in the regional sports package, and that's pretty much the reason for all of this. But I should be able to put on my my regional sports package for Altitude Sports and be able to watch the Denver Nuggets. 
And KSE owns that. KSE is the real thing for all of these things. Paying the tax, paying the coaching staff, having state-of-the-art facilities, cultivating the fan base. But we can also talk about the G League team. Like they've outsourced the G League team to Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's not here. That's not something where everybody's close by and you can really cultivate that from the perspective of, oh yeah, we're going to use that for development and we're going to be bringing these guys up and down. They're going to be playing a whole bunch of games. They're going to be doing these things that we want them to do. Davon Reed was part of the team and he was brought up by Denver and that's a good find from Denver. But I don't think that they're using it to their potential, at least not to the, not to the degree that they could this year. Maybe COVID was the, the major effect of that. But the fact is, is that they had all these veteran players that were claimed by other teams. That's not what Denver should be going for. Like, does that help them at all? Probably not. Does it even help their reputation? Probably not. Do things that are going to help bring the talent and the championship caliber players to your team. I just don't think that that's where you're making your ends meet. But that's kind of a a very small thing as well. Either way, the fan base needs to be able to watch games. Altitude needs to be shown. And if it's not altitude, then uh, Adam Silver needs to be able to step in. He needs to be able to do something and the Nuggets need to be shown locally. Ivaca TV, the, the sponsor with DNVR, they're doing some great things too. So I'd go recommend that, honestly, if you're really looking for something. But the fact is, is that the diehards, if they're not willing to pay for Ivaca TV, they're probably going on Reddit. They're probably going on the dark web to illegally stream these games. And that's not great too. You want to make these games easy to find so you can turn on your TV while you're sitting at home on the couch and just watch the game. Hell, you could probably play it on your phone. That'd be great too. I know that they have some stuff there with altitude specifically, but you have to have Comcast. At least if you're a Comcast subscriber. So it's tough. Like this, this shouldn't be a thing. This should not be something that I have to talk about, but I do. This is a competitive advantage for the Nuggets. Or at least it's a disadvantage right now because they're the team with the least eyeballs on it in the entire NBA. And that's probably one of the reasons why Nikola Jokic is just so underrated nationally and so under-discussed nationally, other than for the wrong reasons. Now, last thing, and this is one thing where I actually do have a legit gripe. I do not think the front office has handled the Jamal Murray situation very well. I do not think, given what he tweeted last night and showed some pretty strong frustration over the fact that, hey, he he wants to be out there too. It's not like he wouldn't be out there if he didn't want to be, like, or if if he wanted to be out there and if he felt like he could be out there and be healthy, he probably would be. He is medically cleared. That has sort of become common knowledge among Nuggets fans. He is medically cleared. He was medically cleared back in March. And the front office, I'm sure, is probably looking at this like, okay, now go. 
Now get out there. Are you ready? Okay. We would love to help you get on the court. And for Murray and what he's seeing this year, Nuggets are not a championship contender this year, even with him out there. I think that's pretty clear based off of what they've shown so far. I do not think that he should come back if he doesn't feel like he's ready. And if he doesn't feel like he's going to make a difference, then putting his body up for a potential re-injury risk is probably not a good idea. I'm sure he had discussions with other players that were coming back from ACL tears and was probably like, yeah, I'm only 12 months out from my injury. I'm only 12 months out from my surgery. Let's just wait. Let's just see what happens. And waiting is probably going to lead the Nuggets to get swept or somewhere close to it. But if they're getting swept without Murray and without Porter, let's be honest, they're they're without Porter too, then it's pretty clear that they're not a contender in the first place. It's pretty clear that they were never going to get to that level. I know that Murray is important, but we're looking at other teams around the NBA. Look at the New Orleans Pelicans tonight. They're without Zion Williamson for the entire season, and they have somehow turned themselves into a team that can beat the Phoenix Suns. Now, are they going to win that series? Probably not. But the fact that the Pelicans have made it more competitive against the Suns than the Nuggets have against the Warriors is pretty distressing. That is something that is not great. So, I can't imagine that Murray coming back to that is super enticing for him, or really for anybody if he's not mentally there. That doesn't necessarily make him a bad player or a bad person. A lot of people would need to wait. I would need to wait. I would not be rushing back in this case. I still have the potential to sign these big, massive contracts in the NBA, and I would like to keep myself healthy and available for all future seasons giving us and giving the team the max amount of time to be able to come back and play and come back and perform and be great. And I'm sure that everybody's frustrated. I'm sure that it's not just like, oh, we wish you could play. There's probably something more to that. Let's be honest. Like if, if there's a reason why Tim Connolly is saying, hey, we, we it's all, it's on Jamal now. Uh, there's a reason why it's there. Everybody's saying it's up to Jamal. And I'm sure that Jamal probably told them that he is unclear as to whether he will come back and wanted to leave the door open for himself. And without being definitive, that can get a little bit sketchy for everybody else because you're being held on a knife's edge on whether he's coming back, whether he's not. It's pretty clear that Murray and his camp are upset for the way that the office, uh, the front office framed that. It's pretty clear that the front office is upset that Murray's not coming back while he's cleared, or at least that he's not being definitive with his stance on the situation. There is some potential for this, as well as for the Michael Porter Jr. situation, to go sideways. And nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear me pile on. I get it. 
but the Nuggets have not handled things well with either player. Tensions are pretty hot right now. Everybody's pretty upset. The players that are on the court are upset. The players that are off the court are upset. The coaches are upset. The front office is upset. Everybody needs a vacation. Everybody needs to step away and get away from this cursed season. I hope the cooler heads prevail. I hope that everyone sits back, relaxes, and realizes that playing together when fun and when healthy is one of the best things for everybody. That the front office, that as long as they do their job and fill in the gaps of what the Nuggets are, rather than what they projected them to be back a couple of years ago, as long as they fill in the gaps of what this team is going to be, then I think that this team can bounce back and be a contender as soon as next season. There is no reason at all, as long as everybody comes away from this and is like, okay, let's try again next year. As long as everybody comes out with that, then there should be no reason why Denver can't compete. Some things have to happen. Some changes have to be made. I've talked about them, and we'll continue to talk about them. I'll go into more detail on certain players after the season. But I really hope that everybody maintains their perspective, that the Nuggets are in this position, and they are doing what they can with the resources that they have, and the resources that they have are just not a lot. They need more resources. They need more players. They need more coaches. They need more draft picks. They need more uh, free agents to come there, to come there and, and just give Michael Malone options. They need more time. They need more of a run-up. They need more prep time to be able to integrate everybody and to establish a better offense and defensive system that doesn't just rely on Nikola. They need a lot of things. It's become pretty clear that they need a lot of things. Let's see if they can get there. Let's see if they can have cooler heads and get back to that point. That is the best case scenario for everybody involved. And for the Denver Nuggets, by the way. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Nobody. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support, as always. I will be back tomorrow. Should have a conversation with Matt Moore. I do want to talk about the Jokic, Murray, and Porter dynamics and situations a little bit more with him. So keep that on the docket. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on this podcast. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.